Hello, and welcome to the Poma Podcast. This is episode 5, season 2, called Hiatus. And one of the reasons I have called it Hiatus is to a little bit explain why there has been a bit of a hiatus in this podcast. I had concluded, or at least when I had stopped, it was on a two-parter on precursors, the um, elements that were required prior to being able to to do something. So um, in relation to that, part of the reason I had a hiatus was um, that I was constrained by the public service. Um, so I had spent a significant um, portion of my career, the last you know 12 years, uh, in the employ of the government directly. So there are rules in my province around how we're allowed to comment. While I held union roles that allowed me to comment in some areas, overall, I really didn't have the ability to advocate on the positions in into the policy directions that I actually feel are more necessary to focus on. Not that any particular um, equity group is less deserving than any other, it's merely that as an organizational or endgame thinker, I'm more about let's put the little pieces in place so that there's an actual um, playground for people to then decide how to divvy up and who gets to like who gets to play on the swings. Like until there's an actual swing set, it doesn't matter who gets to play on the swings. Is my point, and the way I kind of try to try to work is that it there are ideological battles which you know they're they're worth undertaking, and we should definitely you know continue to have large and robust ideological discourse in wide frame, and continue to go in a park. And then you could argue that this is by its nature doing that uh, in and of itself. So, I mean, it, it is needing to do that, but um, I'd rather focus my energy um, and what remains of it towards being. Uh, specific deliverables and the specific deliverable that I'm working on is a five-tiered economic model Um, and I'm gonna have to despite the fact that it's not very ready um, it's not that it's it's not this ready the concept it's that I have not been able to purchase and have the resources necessary to put together the level of academic and support team that I would like to have before launching this product as a bit of a semi-perfectionist. So it's more that like it, it will be the product that is what I as an individual have been able to put together in the hopes that it can then trigger and rally some other people to go, okay, I think I see where he's going with this here and um, we'll have to build some of the other structures. I had actually, like my game plan was to continue to launch, right? It was either to be, you know, June 1st or or July 1st uh, of 2020, even when I left in 2019 of June 1st, right? I I kind of presumed it would take me a year and I knew I needed time to recover. I didn't quite, I underestimated how deep and dark I'd fallen down into the hole, but, and I think I've talked about that before, but um, this hiatus is not from falling deep and dark into a bit of a hole, although there is a little bit of a darker hole that was created as a result of it, but it was that the, the nature of my employment contract got 
uh, more complicated and I became reconstrained by the Public Service Act. So um, that meant I had to shut the fuck up. Um, so um, I kind of did uh, in order to sort of like, it was exhausting enough dealing with the situations that I was dealing with. I didn't really need to, I, I, was, I had already like, it, it, it's, I'm not going to get into it, but it, it, it highly, you know, like, <laughs> I, I think of space balls where they're like, ludicrous speed, go. It was like, that's kind of the HR um, circumstances I had as it went from like, what a, I had, a third, so from a tiggy box thing to a, oh my Gosh, it got, anyway, it's it's over. <laughs> it's well, I mean, it's it'll be over in two years after they start convening the grievance settlement boards again. But um, that's somewhat more unrelated to anything there. It's just oh my gosh, it, 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 seriously silly factors. But um, but the the very real consequences of that was that I kind of had to cease and desist uh, some of this type of activity and. And knowing that I was heading towards that, I kind of had to cease and desist that. So um, I do, I don't necessarily apologize for the absence and not really, it's like, I think I may have all of one listener, but as a, if anybody's doing the archive, this, this rationalization of why there's a gap um, is, is more for um, my own purposes too. And I, what better segue to get into hiatus and the nature of it. Um, and the more significant hiatus I want to talk to is the hiatus that reasonable people have taken in the wake of an insane world and kind of said, uh, you know what, I don't want to have any piece of that. Um, because there are a large contingent of well-motivated, like well -motivated, highly motivated, well-intentioned, fairly skilled, highly skilled, low skilled people out there who are absolutely willing to contribute and who are willing to like throw their hand in or like raise their hand. And in fact, like, anyway, that would probably frustrate the more people who hear about it, but you know, there's been voluntary calls and overall people have been pretty good here. Um, and excuse me, you'll have to apologize for that. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that the city of Ottawa is, while trapped by an ineptitude on the procurement side and like the city management and like, the, our, our boondoggling is like pretty epic. And this is like far from our first. I mean, like we're, we're getting into the pure, mon like we, we are the Simpsons monorail episode now. So like, hey, yay. Um, that's always fun, but it's, it's kind of like, anyway, it's, it is still very gratifying that organizations like Ottawa Public Health are filled with such dedicated and relentless people. I mean, the fact that so many programs have been able to continue or, or they've found alternative delivery methods and they've just the way they've not really even waited around for other people they've just been like okay let's just do what's best for the community and let's do human needs assessments and like anyway it's it's gratifying to know that despite the structure that the people inside those structures you know if they if we could capitalize and and tap into them 
they're they're so willing to be part of it. I mean, if we really had true numbers, I mean, I, I get a little frustrated when I, there are absolute benefits of working with inside the structure of the public service on certain elements. However, there are still trade-offs, and the amount of uncompensated labor that is given inside the public service, like the unclaimed overtime, or just sticking with it, and I mean, particularly in the areas in which I worked, like that, we had, we had significant issues there, with you know, un, because it's human services, and you're responsible for people's lives, and there's there, there's you can absolutely point to things that matter. If it doesn't happen, you tend not to have enough resources, so you know you, you just stick around longer to, to kind of do it, and. And it's, it's unfair that, um, you know, the people who don't necessarily have the same skin in the game and, and who are part of that little ivory tower part of the public service do get to malign that, that front-end service. I mean, it's happening a little bit less, but, um, you know, the, the response to the pandemic was not to slam all of the front line with new layers of bureaucracy and reporting tools. Yes, you do need data around specific reporting. You need to do data captures on a bunch of things, but you know, you had a taxed and overburdened systems. It's now in a crisis. If you need new forms to be filled out, then you better send a form filler person out to like call and or like get the person on the phone and you're like, okay, hi. As you're like roaming around in your institution trying to keep the doors running, why don't we like, can I talk in your ear for a little bit and you can answer some questions about like what you need, what you've got. So, you know, the, the mechanical nature in which the bureaucracy operates and what it's like to be just a cog in the machinery that is the bureaucracy, like the soul-crushing nature of that and the price that it takes on your soul and like nature and essence, like that, that surely is worth a 9.4% investment into a pension, right? Like, come on. Seriously, like that, it, it's not unreasonable to say that these, and you're more likely to attract people that there needs to be some absolute work done because the, the you know, the ratio of psychopaths in the public service, um, because of the nature of the power discipline and the HR structures and the way policies and top down structure, it attracts that mindset. It's not that, you know, it's, it's an evil institution, it's that. It is limited by the people who are inside of it. So, you know, as our American example down south is proving towards us, you know, if the institution is rotten to the core because the, you know, flag bearer is like a racist in chief and kind of like, it's not healthy, you know, and that, there's, and it, uh, it would be as a, like, from a public service mindset, on the one hand, I absolutely understand the people who were resigning. But on the other, I'm like, I would not trust resigning any position I held in a toxic administration if I held the keys to anything important. Because I would be worried about the kind of yes person that they would put in my place. I would drag it out until they fired me. But, 
yeah, it's it, it's such a real challenge when the honorable opposition is at its core wanting to destabilize the nature of representative democracy and hedge that over onto predatory economics. And it's like, well, hold on a second. We have we have documented evidence of 500 years of social consequence for predatory economics. We have that now. Like, that's the beautiful thing about the fact that people learn how to write and the Gutenberg Press and our quantification of more information and the scientific method. Like, we are actually able to look at this stuff now. Sure, we don't have all of the data, but you know what? We do have enough to draw fairly good pattern analysis and trend analysis. And those are... Those are different types of ways of looking at data. And that's something that I don't think we communicate very well when we're doing the reporting. Um, when, when, when policymakers try to convey policy to the public, they just eliminate all of their policy and they just use like, Oh, wishy-washy statements, you know, like, this policy will help us to um, further actualize all of our horizontal relationships into better connectedness so that we can better deliver upon our strategic priorities so that we can meet our fiscal aims and our strategic goals within the new framework as outlined with the priorities of government. And it's like, okay, that sounded like a paragraph that would be totally approved by, like, through the ADM structure but I have no earthly idea what it's actually meant to convey to something other than, yeah, like we're kind of working on things. Um, and that's the, the in, ingrained language that has evolved within the nature of this beast because the risk aversion and the top-down structure kind of create that. So, you know, I, I've now made a permanent hiatus from the organization of the public service, but I'm sort of declaring myself as a free agent public servant in that everything I'm going to do from this point forward um, is at the back end going to have um, the, 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 the everybody else in mind. Um, and more importantly, that my hiatus and my ability to you know, hide from the world and not really engage with it and, and enjoy being a, a quiet little introvert and an analytical um, person is also coming to an end and if that fills me with a bit of trepidation and concern i mean it's it's a very toxic world out there i've been on twitter a little bit more i think i put out a couple of tweets it's again it's challenging for an introvert to engage this way not because i'm unfamiliar with technology it's that i already did this it's that my twitter was icq and you know getting bombarded by that little like that that sound that sound still like haunts me in the back of my brain sometimes right just to, being bombarded because everybody was when we went like being at the forefront of communicative technologies and like early stage internet and communication running bulletin board systems and connecting with academic groups and institutions and you know i just the how happy we all were to find each other and to like it, it was very for like for me for like three months it was great it was like i met people from all over the world and you know we we were sharing we were learning little bits of language from each other and you know and you know you 
you're sharing math and code and, and ideas about the future and node-based distributed networks, which would provide, you know, free internet access to everybody before the end of the 1990s and how nobody bothered to do any of that. Uh, but, you know, we, we were so happy to find each other because this somewhat, you know, isolated geeky policy group academic i mean the first explorers in the internet were not really out there i mean the second first commercialized group and they're like huh we can sit porn on here i bet you people will love porn everybody loves porn let's put the porn on here and then like not like the internet like however exponentially grew in sizes like whatever rule it is of the internet but like whatever else is on the internet the porn version of it also exists right um so you but in those like and i was pretty young too so i had the the joy of youthful wonder and exploring code and you know you're you're getting to you're getting to interact with people in japan and germany and argentina and you're like seven years old and it's fascinating and you know technically we're hacking we're because, I mean, at, at this point in time, the telephone companies had not figured, there weren't internet service providers, there were telephone lines, which managed to, you know, figure out how to use as a method to transmit um, our protocols and, and create te telephonic networks. So it's like you you dialed, the internet was a place you went into, but the, the structures that enabled it also elated, uh, enabled secondary structures to exist that weren't necessarily, you know, that. Um, anyway, it, but it was it was great. You know, we found each other and it was exciting, blah, blah, blah. But the, the load time and having, like, suddenly having hundreds and hundreds of friends who all typed so much faster than I did and all wanted input. And I, like, somebody says, hey, blah, 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 blah. I'd like, I'd want to think about what they just said to me. And I'm like, oh, hey, what do I think about that? And, I, and then it'd be like, hmm. And I'd have, like, 23 more requests within the time that I'd take to, like, read and think about one. And then I'd be like, and people would be, and again, these are not necessarily the most, um, would you, I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to stereotype, but it's not exactly like you're talking about the most socially stable group of people to begin with. So, you know, you're not responding to messages fast enough and people get pissed off at you and then they're like swearing at you and you didn't even get to read their first message yet. And then you're, and then you're like, you know, sorry, slow typer, um, lots of tags. And then they like totally flip on you and then they're like super apologetic. And then they think you're like, okay, well, obviously if this person's like talking to lots of people, then I really want to get to know them. And then they really want to get to know me. And it's like, fine, that's great. And I'm glad there's like 95 gazillion extroverts out there who would love to engage and go do with these people. But like, I'm happy to engage. Let's have an exchange. Let's learn something from each other. And then <laughs> let's leave me the fuck alone. And I'll leave you the fuck alone. And you can, you can like, anyway, it, I'd already understood the scale of internet technology before, right, I mean, before it really blew up to the scale that it blew up in terms of how I wanted to manage my life with it. Uh, and I was like, okay, you know what, these like totally just expose yourself to 
anybody who wants to just like poke in it is not how I because it interrupts my strain of train of thought my it was a productivity killer for being a creative and uh, you know I, I I enjoy writing so um, having uh, the new toolbox right like the way the computer allowed me to um, use word processing and editing and and saving in a way that you know manual typewriting and, and things did not is real advantage you know it was just it really was and it was you know such a different kind of community that i was happy to participate with um it was just to the extent that i enjoyed that i was also able to to control and limit the amount that i was able to do that so i just you know i set up my little flags as afk and then then perma afk and then i just like interacted with the the few people who had you know a specific number that i was i was connecting with that i, I wanted to have more regular communication with but the model uh, of mass communication and its availability oversaturated me uh, and I knew I didn't want to you know um, I don't know it just it didn't really fit for me to um, have peace of mind because what I talked about a little bit is um, when you have rage uh, there's a real challenge um, managing that and and I, I really apologize it's my, I have to log back in um, and that, sort of what I was kind of going on here is that my when your brain works in abstract ways and where you can get lost for hours and hours and hours into particular realms of thought or go deep into them um, having something that just kind of like bombards you all the time and drags you out of it doesn't suit that process very well uh, so as a matter of organizational thinking if i need to do creative work i have to turn off my inputs and so like like present day and pretty much always when i get my technology it's like almost all silence the fact that my phone has a phone feature is an annoyance to me but the fact that i have a incredibly powerful computer in my hand these days is a tool i really really love so it's like um, i accept that it has a phone in it as you know you can call me and you can text me and it has those features but as as an object and as its utility the the fact that i am able to do mobile computing and and have uh, a fairly handheld viable device uh, with me everywhere i go and has an increasing level of capacities i mean like oh my gosh like it's just the, this and i guess i'm able to really enjoy the level of technology we're in today without having any impatience factor like i it's it's going to be quaint in like 20 more years when we've got like true light wave transmission and, and speed and bandwidth they're going to be like past concepts they're just going to be it'll, the the spectrum that's available versus the scope of all of the data of the universe is like it's just no um we there is the amount of data that you could pack oh, i've seen these months that's why i'm so like 
wondrous all the time. It's like I've seen this model uh, and it's real and it's three-dimensional encoded crystalline hard drives. And these things are like crazy exobyte level. Like this is beyond... And this, this is just cracking the surface of this technology. And it, and it is like... Lightning. This stuff is incredibly expensive and it's super fragile. So it's like the way people use their devices and like drop them and, you know, and scratch their asses while holding them and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Completely not viable for commercial technology. But, you know, like in a controlled server setting or like in a university or laboratory environment or hospitals where you want to run like super complex or, you know, you, you, with technology that we're entering into the scale of possibilities are both immense but um, about to face some specific hard limits because of our capacities to design the company again the precursors in order to get there we have to have certain other things and our ability to do um, our ability to do cooling relative to power and energy use does not meet the needs to be able for us to create what is possible without having those devices just melt and catch on fires. It's like we 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 can definitely build things, and I've seen um, prototypes of things that are, would be. Very impressive technology if it didn't like catch on fire three or four seconds after it started working. <laughs> you know, for those two seconds, the the, uh, the the CPU speeds were off the freaking charts. But you know, the ability of those chips to be sustained you know, on any environment that wouldn't just fry whatever the hell they come in contact with—it's just we're not there yet. So, I mean, those. There are some challenges, and I think our nanotechnology and the way we're learning about that, it's in the total scary realm, but also like in terms of the way we think about data, like gigabytes and megabytes and all of that other kind of stuff, but the amount of data from a digital perspective that can be encoded within a single cell on our skin just because of the amount of RNA and DNA which could be converted into digital carrier mechanisms. Like, and you wouldn't obviously want to do this. You'd be, be from the perspective of having a persistence of the cell, it would be creating an artificial technology the size of a singular cell. But the fact that you can do that and encode it in something as small as, as a single cell, and that can contain terabytes or greater of data at technologies that we are capable of right this very day, is still like kind of part of the wow. But it's the cost of development of that shit, right? I mean, and the real utility of that. I mean, yes, that would be great. I would like to have a thumb drive that is my attached to my thumb that is my thumbprint that has, like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, a couple of hundred thousand cells. 
just on some surface skin millions if you actually want to get like a full impression and not just a micro contact point like the, the scale of uh, my anatomy and microanatomy and nanoanatomy and, and like quarks and if we have the ability to harness the amount of energy which is exerted upon a ball bearing as it drops towards the ground That'll solve all of our power needs. Not because one ball bearing will do it, but it, being able to capture and quantify a natural bandwidth of energy that surrounds us and yields force downward upon us at all times leaves us with an infinite, well, not technically infinite, because there is a straight line math based upon the um, number of. Um, or the ability for you to, to, to capture it. So in theory, if we surrounded our entire planet with a filament that was able to capture every square inch upon which um, that force was being exerted, we'd be at our top end. I don't know if we'd ever get to that super umbrella stage, but um, we can definitely get to some stage. And that's... I don't know if that's going to be in my lifetime. I mean, part of the reason that I worked on and have been working on the Clandestine Survival Initiative is to say, you know what, not to be like crazy or radical, but just that we can't, we no longer have the luxury of waiting for governments. We have to just put these policies out there, win over public opinion, get public opinion to get everybody agreed on a consensus framework. And it's by work, uh, I've built in components to the model that I don't like because I have to do it because that's what reality is. And that's how science operates. It operates in the reality that we're in and it tries to understand as much of it as it can. And, you know, as, uh, as a public servant, I've kind of had to take a bit of a hiatus. My social media presence was limited to, you know, um, tweeting a couple of internet conferences that I was at because I thought that was relevant to um, being at an internet conference. So I <laughs> kind of tweeted those. And <clears throat> at that time, I was still kind of like, okay, well, maybe tweeting conferences that you're at is one of the things that you could do for social media because I knew I, I, I because as I already explained, I already, I've taken a permanent hiatus from that kind of stimulus response scenario, which is why, you know, ecosystems like Facebook don't work for me. I mean, if I just log in for five seconds to have an email and already there's like dozens of people who are getting stock or notifications. This is not the kind of to social tool I want. I mean, I'm all for anybody who wants to share whatever they want, but I want people to make the choices of whatever they're sharing. And that's not how it all. And that, but that said, I'm an early adopter. So of course I have an account. I had an account like, I don't want anybody else to set up on my name. So I like, I try to have everything. <laughs> um, it's just not maintained, uh, which is going to be problematic as people start like searching for me. So um, one of my exercises is definitely going to have to be to like sort of clean up and center around that that personal branding and figure out which things I'm going to be using and which things I'm not going to be using and how um, 
how I'll be prefacing each platform um, to contextualize it and its role because this is political and my hiatus is over and and I'm kind of mourning that I'm I don't want the world to be going to shit and I don't really want to have to be involved um, not that I'm afraid to be involved or anything like that but just I'd like to have a book and just read and experience the world and gain from it and there's hundreds of millions of worldly experiences that can be undertaken to have some growth and enjoy them and learn and yeah so like I've been ready to retire since I was a child because I've never been able to um, find a shortage of things to occupy my time with I mean this I've been off work for a year in terms of like absolute contributions towards my workplace um, and it is not necessarily the bastions of kind of productivity that one would assume to have if if you were to donate a year to yourself like it, there are people who accomplished more in their day one of quarantine than i accomplished in a self-imposed you know nine months of it before any of this stuff even even started uh, on the upside i had been seemingly 100 percent psychologically prepared for all of the COVID stuff that had happened because I had already entered a self-isolating state um, for my own emotional well-being. Uh, so in, in some senses, the only things that I find strange is that now that I'm kind of willing uh, to, uh, or able to emerge in uh, a more significant way, that the world is kind of shut down. So, uh, and that uh, obviously the nature of the crisis itself, that it's, it's going on. Uh, I mean, we, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's very real. I, I work in these kinds of industries in, in uh, human services. My colleagues are stressed to the max. Uh, I'm not able to be there for them. That's not, you know, that's not a great feeling. Um, and and I un understand all of the institutional pressures that these places are fa facing. You know, my stepfather's in one of the care homes. He had he contracted COVID. He's recovered now. But I mean, it's it's only a matter of time. This is this is endemic and. It's going to become cyclic until there's a vaccine available. So um, I, I'm hopeful that um, that he's able to continue to remain resistant uh, afterwards. But that we have no um, we have no evidence to suggest that that's necessarily the case. Um, so other than the fact that he's he's doing okay, short of you know, and, I mean anxiety and I mean the reason I mean dementia continuing to progress is not helpful and you know. What what and it's it's the it's the similar to the daycare thing you know like you have to recognize the nature of the environment and while there may be a, you know some uh, residents who are you know at near final respites or purely convalescent and not that difficult to keep perfectly contained but um, you know. My stepfather certainly is. I mean, from a body, physical body perspective, he's still pretty healthy compared to when his his brain um, didn't help him out anymore. So, um, it's that's very very tough. And and you know, he's such a sweet guy, and he's so social, and he wants to check in on everybody. And you know, his his routine had been to become a, a real 
you know, cheerleader inside the place. So, and he has no ability to really comprehend quarantine protocols. And, you know, and, you know, to his credit, it would have been a challenge to explain quarantine protocols to him, even in his best days, just because of the nature of, you know, the, the all no, go, no quit, like, invulnerable farmer kind of person that he was. It's just, you know, um, there a sort of recklessness that goes with this. Um, it's not, it's just, it's the sturdiness and a, and a sort of willingness to just go all in that tends to throw precaution to the wind. So, I mean, it, I, I it's but dementia I mean into the mix you know so for for there to be there are respiratory outbreaks regularly and I you know being conscious and connected to the way government works I already knew and, and studied and tracked the the respiratory outbreak um, system and, and knew how it worked and and so when this was happening and before this happened, like I knew it was going to hit the home. It was only a matter of time. I mean, it didn't, it didn't necessarily have to hit the home, but I mean, in the sense that I knew it was going to happen at the general population, and I knew that certainly as it was starting to roll out in January and February, and people were not taking it seriously in the way that I'm like, um, okay, this, like you do, there's an incubation period, and you can be providing getting other people sick and not realizing you have symptoms yet and that's you know our saving grace on covid if there is to be considered the gray line uh, the silver lining um is that this is not as an efficient a killer um that it, it likes to live so um that's one of the things that's going to make it fucking hard to fight is that um, this sucker wants to live it's, it, it's persistence it's behaviors um, and and it, it's kind of weird to talk about you know covid as a you know be from a behavioral psychology kind of people but in in the way that this class of coronaviruses and these strains are so rapidly also accumulating like on the good side and bad side it, it's you know capturing and, and mutating a little bit and giving us tidbits of genomic data from the populations in which it's coming from which does help a little bit with the mapping of the thing but it also it starts it shows just how well this thing is able to um, adapt itself and so what I'm concerned about, and one of the reasons I, I feel compelled to um, leave the hiatus of being a um, rather, you know, sort of quiet, maybe not so humble um, public servant is um, that the strategic approach that is being undertaken seems to have been a result of the loss of institutional memory. And having been inside the government and having been one of the... Uh, there, were pe there were definitely people who looked at me as part of legacy planning for, their, um, for the things that they were doing. 
like um, not necessarily I was working with pe a number of people who were also very close to retirement during uh, uh, during my union career so I was learning from a lot of people who were at the tail ends of their careers after you know like 30 years of service but um, I started at 30 really so because I, I, I did my sort of guerrilla nonprofit side um, slash you know irregular employment slash student stuff so um, it was it was a real eye-opener in some ways to just um, get a, the ability to absorb so many seasoned, um, experienced people. And to just, that's what I, I was like. And I just want to like absorb and be a sponge. And the only reason I know anything at all is because I was able to absorb it um, from those people before they exited. And... Um, the organizations themselves on either side but government much worse at it not good at institutional memory and to go like why not in the last year or the last six months of somebody's career just be like okay uh hey employee a um so what are like what are all of the things that you've learned about working here, and in what way can we like Im improve our deliverables? And in, in what way um, did you find that we did business that most, you know, constrained your ability to be productive? And just really drill into a good exit interview and to make the last six months about passing on any knowledge and experience and operational capacities that they have to the remaining workforce. And we we don't really do that. So I felt very lucky to have had the opportunity that most of the committees and the roles that I got elected to placed me in a position to be sort of the right hand to people who were um, fairly well established and thus I was able to kind of wow them a little bit because I brought up in a, a technology perspective and um, the what I liked to study and what I had an intention to study was, was contract law. And though, um, for reasons of personal stupidity and being, being able to rationalize decision-making um, around my ability to accumulate the knowledge that I want absent the school um, was achieved. So in some sense, I didn't feel obligated to maintain a presence at the institution and thus did not. Um, accomplish any credential because I was like holy crap I just spent like a, a whole bunch of money on books and ultimately why am I paying all these other fees and tuitions and having to go listen to you people when ultimately you just tell me to read the book and uh, I'm like okay well I already have the book so thanks and I read the books all right and I did my own research law and, and I studied courses online and and just learned it's and when you when you're learning contract law what you're learning is precedent you're learning legal research once you have that ticked down it's about how do you build your cases how do you build the structure it's it's a you know what are the, the force and effect what's an enforceable clause what's an unenforceable clause you know how do you have you know what are the dependency with it really what it's it's like baking right it's just making a recipe so you know Contracts are the recipe for how the world works, and 
I understood this when I was fairly young, so I didn't necessarily 100% think that was going to be my career. I did, you know, think I'd do something related to the law, but I was learning it because it's the recipe for life. It's how decisions get made, and it's it's the meaning of what it is. And it's also the difference between what is actually on paper and gets passed versus what people talk about. Because, again, once you work on the inside a little bit, you know nobody has time to read their briefing materials. You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm exaggerating. People do have time to read their briefing materials, but not all of them. It's insane. Like, uh, I don't have an expectation in the climate that we have, and especially if you keep shuffling ministers around or if you don't have stable deputies underneath the new ministers that you're shuffling around or if you have like some weird toxic culture going on inside your departments then yeah yeah i mean your deliverables are probably going to be a little messed up but uh we have the real challenge in making change happen and to make things work from the inside of government merely because that's not our job our job is stability and implementation. It's not actually to come up with the next plan. And um, no, that's why I would often say the creativity deficit is the issue. And um, being, you know, a, a creative type, I was able to bring into an environment which, you know, when you're talking contract disputes and contract law, uh, a, a very different approach to the legal research of just, well, the way it really works in contract enforcement is the highest court that's already decided in your favor is what you put. You know, you, you don't, don't litigate what's already been litigated. Demonstrate the decision. So, um, it's, I should teach a course on that to, to, labor activists and grievance activists is to not relitigate the battles that we've already won, um, but to reference them and to build a freaking database of when you're in, in this issue, these are the things, these are the cases you need to cite. When you're dealing with these issues, these are the cases you need to be citing uh, and maintain some kind of an error. Of the 84 million ways in which I need to start improving the world, um, that is in, like sadly not on my number one list. So my number one list is again what I'm having to take a hiatus from, which is having a quiet, peaceful life, um, largely. Um, be, not, that, not that I guarantee or presume that there's going to be some success or some bombardment or some viral or, or anything, and I don't really, I'm not aiming for that. I want the people who, I want decision makers, and I want general public to um, accept and embrace a structure that's in their own interest and will save us all anyway. So it's just like, Let's just all agree this is better. And like, yeah, there's a West Wing episode where like um, Lily Tomlin is just like trying to talk to Sheen's character, and she's like, "You don't care why it's better. It just is, you know." And it's just like that's the messaging I kind of have. It's like this: look, it's five-tiered economic structure. It's still gonna have a competitive marketplace. It's gonna have a utilitarian economy in order to ensure that essential goods are gonna be met. It's gonna still have floating currencies and valuations on an open currency and commodity exchange. So it's just like, you know, sit the 
fuck down. Nobody needs to like pull their hair about. I've done, you know, all of my life of thinking and all of my life of observing all of the economic systems I've ever been able to have access to in coming to put this shit together. It's not Dylan's plan. It's not Dylan's desires for what he thinks the new global order should be. It is what does Dylan think could actually be accomplished in this fucking world that could possibly happen and fix the thing and do it whether I like it or not right and that that's the point that's going to be harder to argue in saying you know because people love pouncing on that weakness point so if I was they're going to parse one of my tweets out of a thread and it's going to say well of course I don't support all of the substantive elements of this policy framework and it's going to be the poster line that they're going to use in opposition against me because I'll be, you, um, I have a bunch of prior podcasts which basically outline the levels of insanity in which I live and my mind works and the abstract operating that it, it, it goes through. So, I mean, they will very easily be able to put me in the loony column. But these, you know, the Palma podcast is Palma pulled out of my ass for the reason that this is what it is. Nothing on these podcasts is meant to be, even if, though I may make references to five-tiered economies and may make reference to some of the policies as outlined by the initiative, only the initiative's voice is going to be putting out the clear and, like, the actual product and stuff. I'm, I'm you know, the distinguishment from what I am doing and the Palma stuff and, and humor and, and, and side properties that I might be trying to get off the ground are irrelevant though correlated to my general effort and designs to implement some type of five-tiered economy. <clears throat> Technically, we only need th two of the tiers are for like the 24th, 23rd century, um, likely when they are actually going to be um, needing to be implemented without having adverse effect on the economy. But hey, you know what? If you're going from one... It, the perfect analogy that I like to convey uh, in trying to express this is that the reason we need to create tiers for our economy is the reason why we don't have all of the professional sports and all of the Olympic sports and all of the amateur sports simultaneously being played on the same field at the same time. It's because you can't do that and it doesn't work. And obviously <laughs> it's going to be dangerous for some people. And, um, and that, that's kind of the economy that we have is it's just, it's all the eggs are in a singular way of, you know, weaving the basket. And it's like, well, actually we need a bunch of different baskets and, um, and that's, and I, that's what I've been spending some time working on. So my hiatus has been mostly getting myself, um, healthy enough to endure the life that I'm willing to uh, embark upon now. And, and the willing, the vitriol that I'm willing to accept coming my way as a result of the, the nature of current humanity. That said, you know, if um, I am encouraged, I'm less, ironically, despite the fact that global calamity is going on uh, and we're at a much high, in absolute terms, we're at a much higher risk of some kind of detrimental collapse um, on a, from this perspective, um, it's actually a little less stressful, the idea of 
bombarding the world with this idea in that um, while COVID did not have a relate, uh, that COVID, uh, there's a point to be made in the sense that one of the four initial areas for the, the first round of investment uh, that the, invish, the, uh, the initiative's money was to do is on uh, the next generation of antifungals, antivirals, antibiotics, and, uh, and, uh, and other treatments to deal with um, the this, this sort of next gen and the fact that the, the current models um, and the current drugs that we're using are, um, are no longer being effective against a large number of... Uh, I mean, the, the way... Anyway, I'm not going to go back into bio, the biowarfare that we're really in is with small organic organisms that adapt in much faster than we are. So we have to be careful in how we try to adapt to it. And again, the point I thought I was going to try to make a minute ago, but I did, lost my train, was that I worry that with an economic so um, an economy so focused on getting treatments and symptom reduction uh, going in fighting against COVID, that that's going to stimulate this bugger into being a more aggressive version of itself, which is what we definitely do not want it to do. Um, so, you know, vaccine or bust is kind of the way you want to approach viruses um, with the exceptions of um, the most critical patients who obviously need um, intervention. But um, if you've got yeah, I, I, we, we really need people not to be dicking around and, and poking around with a whole bunch of experimental stuff on their own stupid stuff. We need to have, you know, leave it to the doctors and the scientists. Don't, like, don't create a superbug out of a superbug. That's, that would be my advice. Um, but it's a little less scary, probably because there's already too much chaos. So maybe I can, I can put it into people's hands and they'll be more, more receptive to it than they would have if it was just kind of coming out of the blue. Um, it, and, it, I mean, it's relevant. And, you know, I mean, the a five-tiered economic system can help us deal with institutional racism because it will allow everybody to be able to participate in the economy at least to the point where we're beyond the Maslow's thinking, which once you're, and again, I've talked about this in previous um, stuff, but, you know, until you have a regular and consistent safety and security for both your person and your, you know, state of health and some kind of shelter you're, and food supply, you're not going to be thinking about um, positive things and you're not going to be thinking about contributing to your community and you're not going to think about um, and you're going to be thinking well whatever I need to do to survive and it's understandably going to take people towards criminality or hustling or a culture of trying to uh, you know get at every penny possible that um, that can be and to try to game the system because the system's been friggin so rigged against you I don't begrudge it's like when I'm working on this, been working on the social assistance side of things for a fairly long time. It's like, okay, yes, there are some people committing fraud, and there are definitely some like cases where you want to go, okay, that shit needs to come to an end. But for the most part, the amount of work that people are going through in order to prove that what they're trying to prove in order to get access to a fairly meager government stipend is 
uh, that's enough work for me. I, uh, you've you've pretty much just justified yourself as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's like if you don't think these people are doing best efforts and are working hard and trying to hustle just to maintain access to these meager, shitty benefits, then you clearly have not been paying attention. And that's, and I guess that's the frustration that I feel having like sat back and been an observer for a longer period. Most of the conclusions people are coming to now, not that I'm saying I'm particularly more enlightened, I'm just saying that I'm more neutral historian in how I uh, gained an approach to the world, and uh, by doing that, it allows me to um, take a different approach when it comes to positions. I'm not really a partisan. Whenever I um, do start work on any particular issue, I investigate the uh, opposite side first. I always want to know, you know, what's their argument? Why are they in it first? I, I try to empathize with their positions. I understand why terrorists are terrorists, and I understand why bigots are bigots. I try not to be one, but, you know, I can't say I don't have friggin' blinders and that the experiences that I've had in my past haven't sort of tainted me towards how I, I have absolute fears of anybody who has a likelihood to hold extremist views because as a person who believes in total freedom of thought and freedom from religion that um yeah that puts me on on, on the naughty list and their naughty list is not like my naughty list is i don't buy your shit and i don't deal with your company i don't issue death proclamations for you i don't consider you to be um you know against the ways of my order and that it's okay for me to kill you so you know when I, I hope that this allows a more genuine examination of our hypocrisy around multiple truths it's like um if you think that you're the king or queen of left side um identity or left side politics because you're able to memorize a whole bunch of genders, but yet you're not able to coalesce a coherent position <coughs> around support for the Palestinian people who have been like slaves in their own land for like 4,000 years, then, uh, okay, hold on a second. You know, I mean, every cause is important. Absolutely, for sure. I'm not saying don't put any energy towards it, but it's time we prioritize motherfuckers and there's some people we need to tell to sit the fuck down because they're making everybody else look crazy and they're making they're making it harder for people like me who are generally trying to shift both the middle the right and the left towards a rational policy position because they're too busy slapping me with their labels i'll be a fuck the policies i'm going to put forward there are absolutely fascist components of it and dictatorial i mean there's the model implementation plan has a five-year wage, wage and price freeze implemented built into it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what people would do. That's just the the implementation model is a little bit thrown off again by the pandemic and the urgency around economic collapse of the world's economy being a little more pressing than it was. So having a rescue package um, available and a tool and a mechanism with which to um, having I'm not going to get into temporarily indexed funds at minute 59 of my podcast, but um, anyway, yeah, thinking and working really hard, thinking about documenting and being able to put this fairly complex thought into 
digestible frameworks and um, ways that can be extrapolated into um, the real economy has not been um, quite up to the level I'd like it to be up to when I'm, you know, six days out from needing to do what I'm going to do and deciding, you know, the, the pistol is fired and we're off to the races. Uh, admittingly, I am having to, like, caution myself against pressure and just be like, okay, you may be opening the permanent war room, but you are remembering your, it's a permanent war room. Um, <laughs> this is a war room that's going to last until the year 2500, so it uh, it's meant to definitely be not about me, because <laughs> I definitely, and you know, like, aside from health-related concerns around mortality, even if given the option for digitization and, or whatever else for extended or permanent lifespan, no. No, the, 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 the specialness of mortality is, is actually quite precious to me. It's uh, the, the, and the idea that the release is, is, is actually kind of good. Because, I mean, I'm a technologically adept, innovative, entrepreneurial mind, strategic thinker, and I can't keep up. You know, it's like, I try, I spend a lot of time um, trying to understand all the different things that are going on in the world, and it is very hard. And as I was saying, like, there's, especially as a generalist, um, it's very hard to be able to capture it all. I mean, all of human knowledge became pretty much aware, to, um, available to me when... I was a kid, my ability in the rest of those years to actually digest and consume that knowledge has been limited by, you know, needing to live and go to school and learn the things that they wanted me to learn and, you know, all of that. So, and life and things that get in the way. So if you're, you know, if your life is built around having a bunch of kids you have to take care of and a job you don't like and OT and... You know, having to go back and forth and long commutes and, you know, an endless thing of errands or a, a money pit house that drains your efforts and energies all the time. You know, like, I don't begrudge any other human being for being so freaking overstimulated they don't know what's going on in the world. That's not a crime. But I am having a problem with not enough people following when, you know, reasonable people try to take a, uh, hey, we're just like saying that, you know, you shouldn't suppress people's vote at all, because in theory, you want people to vote. Um, there shouldn't be opposition to this issue. The reason there's opposition to this issue is you're concerned about those people because they vote against you. So you got to keep, in order to keep in power, you have to keep them away from the polls. And that's the, that's the way you do it. And that's, again, that's why there's institutional racism. You know, it's when you... And I, again, I'm happy to have worked for uh, entities like Elections Canada um, because they do have uh, a, a slightly innovative desire to 
propagate democracy and to ensure its viability and its strength and to look at new tools and to consider options. And, you know, I think it's a good idea that people are engaged, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to treat everybody as a subject class ignoramus just because their lives are too consumed with tasks and staying afloat that they just don't have, and that they want to just melt their brain into, you know, TV land, because that's fine. I mean, I get it. I can understand that. I'm, you know, I procrastinate better than most. Um, so, you know, it's, I'm in, there's no way to try to lecture here, but um, it, it will seem that way, which is a concern, right? I mean, tone is very hard to convey in print. Uh, maybe, maybe the podcast will be my vehicle of rebuttal for what's going on on the Twitter storm, and I'll be, you know, showing more continuity and connection between those two accounts and, and this one. I don't know. Um, but it seems like, for the moment at least, that, um, that Twitter and Instagram and places like that are probably going to be the, the primary vehicles and, um, yeah, and then that's, uh, that's going to be it. So my hiatus is over and I'll be my happy Canada day. I'm going to kick it off. I might, in fairness to myself, I might still celebrate, um, candidate to myself, um, and, uh, and have that be my actual last day of personal freedom while I celebrate my nationalist, um, view of celebrating my country. Cause I, I tend not to hold national. I mean, and I'm happy to have been born here because that generally means having the thoughts that I have hasn't resulted in getting shot in the street. Um, like a lot of countries I'd be dead in right now, but, um, yeah, it's nowhere else so great. I don't, I don't hold us, uh, you know, as the cats meow for, for everything. Um, I, I, one of the challenges for social policy in Canadians is that, you know, when we, we try to say, hey, we need to do better, and our, our model is like one of the most generous or one of the best in the world, and it's like entirely insufficient. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. So. Our not doing it well is better than nobody else doing it all. All right, well, that's not really a good point of advocacy to work from when trying to ask for new dollars. It's like, oh, so we're basically always just going like, well, New Zealand or Scandinavia. And then they're always coming back with it's like, well, all these American states have just completely gotten rid of this and they're still fine. And we're like, have you not noticed all of their health indicators are starting to hit like third world country levels, dude? Uh, no, there's a reason we don't suggest cutting off all funding to, like, health. Anyway, as the six-and-a-half-minute crossing of the hour um, is embarking upon, and I could easily fall into 8,000 more rants, um, clearly the hiatus is over if I'm running an hour-long podcast. It's going to be challenging. Um, I'm not sure what I'm heading into the delivery mechanisms I'm still playing around with. Um, I mean, there's going to be some dry stuff that's just straight up, but um, that's not going to reach people. Um, and it's probably not the good introductory tool, right? It's like, uh, if you'd like to learn more, here it is. Read the read the PDF or, you know, you can look at my Excel data or you can 
you know, we'll, we'll look at that. We'll do that kind of stuff. I've been playing around with some, you know, little tools and how to make things look better. And and we'll see. Again, my, my job was to come up with a strategy, come up with a messaging that can be compelling. Uh, and then try to encourage a bunch of other activists and or get into the room with the decision maker, right? So um, this whole just directly appealing to people, um, yeah, I don't know how well I'm going to do with that. So we'll see. Um, but yes, this is the Pummel Podcast, and this is the hiatus, the hiatus is over podcast. Um, as always, stay safe and um with everything that is going on out there yes um of course please just try to be a slightly better human being and and i'm sure we'll we'll figure out a way and um and hold out some hope there are lots of people trying to uh, to work on this and get us through <laughs>